live from the Nantucket Range Lights in Nantucket Harbor, and brought to you by Armor Cans Meat. Anytime is Armor Time. I'm Delmon. And I'm Malicious. And this is EQ2 Talk. Travel through time to help history along. Give it a push where it's needed. When the Omni's red, it means history's wrong. Our job is to get everything back on track. This is episode number 38, and we are recording on January 14th, 2012. And Allie, why don't we still have theme music? I was gloating a little overzealously over my domination of our fantasy football league, and I think I threw out my back. Well, I'm not going to let you Tebow all day long. So let's move right on to email, shall we? Sure. We have an email here from our friend Sprouts, entitled Frosty Wishes. Hello, all. And once again, thank you for an excellent podcast. I thought I'd list a couple of my wishes for the next year as well. Number one, fanfare in Dallas or Austin, Texas. I guess we know where Sprouts lives. Number two, server change tokens. My friend is stuck on ButcherBlock, and we would like to play together now that we can be on the same server. He'd switch over to Freeport if he had some server transfer tokens. Number three, more options with spawners in Dungeon Maker. I have a ton of custom text entered into my NPCs, but they rarely say anything. Some sort of slider to increase or decrease chatter would be nice. Also, sliders to adjust hostility, elemental powers, alliance, faction, etc. would be good as well. Sometimes I just need some non-hostile NPCs. Spawn timers so that you can set up dungeons like the one made this year for Knights of the Dead. Lastly, for Dungeon Maker, smaller, cheaper boss spawner packs. Number four, group trade skill quests starting at level 30 instead of 50. Number five, shared bank slot unlockers for the free community. Number six, my final wish is for everyone to have a fun-filled 2012. Hope everyone had a great holiday. Signed, Sprouts. So, Del, do you have any thoughts about some of the items on Sprouts' wish list? Yeah, I do. Why don't we just run them down from top to bottom like he listed them? Uh, first one off the bat, he talked about fanfare being in Dallas or Austin, Texas. Uh, while I think that's great, I, and I don't want to poo-poo on his wish list, I, I don't see that wish being fulfilled. Uh, I think they're comfortable with Vegas. I think that gives them the best bang for their buck. It would be nice if it was in other locations around the U.S., but I think we're kind of locked in long-term uh, to Vegas just as a price point. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's true, and I also think... Uh, they probably get more people when they go to Vegas anyway, um, when they've had it at other locations. I think Vegas is just a more popular destination. Absolutely. Uh, the second one he kind of talks about is uh, server change tokens. I think they've made some changes to that recently, and I think as long as you have been gold for a week or two, I think now, you can transfer. So he didn't say what his friend subscription level is. But I think if you're gold now, you can get those server token transfers. Gold recurring, I believe, is the requirement. Okay, gold recurring. Okay, sure, sure, I can see that. 
not really sure why that needs to be, but it is what it is. Maybe that's something to do with the back-end billing system or what gets transferred. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, and there was a post made um, on the forums recently. It may have actually been after Sprouts' email um, that basically said there's no exceptions. So you might want to check into that. The third one, he talks a lot about the Dungeon Maker changes. Mm. One thing he highlights here is the speech or the text that I guess that the mobs say when they're in there. I put some text on my mobs, and they never talk. I, I think I've created a moot dungeon, and I don't know why that is. I, I think it might be broken, although I can see how sometimes it's random because you don't want the mobs just yammering on and on and on. But uh, they never say anything in my dungeon, so I, I wonder if there's something wrong with that or something bugged. Well, or maybe it's somehow they're just killed too quickly. Possibly, possibly. But I thought like one of them was like on aggro, so I'm assuming mm. they would say at the minute somebody got an aggro, you're certainly not in there one-shotting uh, mobs today. Yeah, I don't know. I've noticed that as well. Uh, I noticed some dungeons have some text, and then, you know, if you run the same one again, you're expecting to see that text and it's not there. It's kind of odd. Another one he lists here is the non-hostile NPCs. I actually really like that. I never kind of thought of that myself. But you could put uh, NPCs, and if the text was working, they could be storytellers or guides to explain the theme or, or hint at the storyline a little bit as you're going along. I, I kind of do like that idea. You know, yeah. something that you can't kill, but you, players kind of bump into along the way that helps narrate the dungeon a little bit. Well, or even killable mobs, but just non-aggro. To, to, you know, sort of taunt you or whatever. Sure, sure. What I'm thinking of is, remember in the Ward of Elements, there were certain pop-ups that happened as you mm -hmm. got closer to certain mobs that explained who they were and what their magical power might be? So mm -hmm. something along that line. So that it adds flavor, uh, a little bit more of a dimensional feel to the dungeon. The next one he talks about is uh, group trade skill quests, starting at level 30 rather than 50. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that may be easier said than done. Not sure how complex it would be for them to change those recipes and all that sort of stuff so that they come down lower. Um, uh, it's a good idea, but I don't know what the workload behind it might be. And I wonder how many people really are still running those regularly. Enough to say, are they a good way to level? I don't know. Or maybe an additional set instead of replacing the 50s, an additional set of maybe two trade skill instances in the lower tier. I don't know. Okay, yeah, that might work. I, I guess I was thinking about making the ones that we have today more dynamic, but that might be interesting, a whole new one altogether at a lower level. Well, I still run them regularly. You know, it's obviously easier with a group of people, and I think that would be the idea, but I, I don't know. Much like, you know, you've said in the past, I think because you can only do one, it's sort of tough to get a group together to go do it because you're done in 20 minutes. 30 minutes, and then you're done for the day. Yeah, you're right. And I wonder, you know, at the at the lower levels there, the, the 30s, you know, are people looking when they're doing trade skilling to group up and group together for leveling purposes? I don't know. Are you just sitting there banging out writs in your guild hall or in the in the trade skill area in town or, or, or running the quests that kind of push you through them quite well as well? So I, I wonder, are people looking at those lower levels for really grouping opportunities, and that may make it a a lot of work for a little return in terms of player playability. Hmm. Player playability? Did I just say that? You did. All right. Well, I just—I I don't know if that's a phrase, but I'm gonna—I'm gonna coin it as one now. 
Not sure how much play you'll get out of that one. But I'm bump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shared bank slot unlockers for the free community. Um, sure, why not? Uh, if uh, the free folks want to want to purchase them, I, I don't see anything wrong with doing that. Uh, I, I think as we've started to see a little bit, I think we're going to talk a little bit later about is anything that they can make a buck off of. So if they can make a buck off of that, why not give it to the free people if they're willing to pay for it? I don't really understand how unlockers work. Is it permanent? You know, like you buy an unlocker for a certain number of masters and that's permanently unlocked on that character? I think it's, yeah, you know, that's a great question. I don't know if it's account or character, but it's like buying a flag that unlocks something or gives you access to something. You know, mm-hmm. as gold, it's something we don't have to worry about or mm-hmm. haven't had to encounter. But the free accounts don't have uh, shared bank slots, mm-hmm. but we do. So as a free member, they could pay, I don't know, pick a number, $5. And when you spend that $5 on that, it sets the flag in your in your account settings that gives you access to that, that function in the code, I guess. Well, how does that work? I mean, you can have, how many alts can you have? Can you have... Oh, that's a great question. Now, I don't know how that works. Is it, do you have to buy one for every tune so that they can have access to that? Or is it just if I've got two tunes and I have a third, that one, and I don't buy the unlocker for him? I, I don't know. Oh, that's a great question. Mm. Well, anyway, something to think about. And maybe that's why it doesn't exist yet. There's those sort of complexity things that, that mm-hmm. make, it, make it a lot harder than it sounds in an email. Yeah. And then his final wish is that everyone have a fun-filled 2012, and I absolutely agree with that. I, I think... 2012 is going to be an exciting year, uh, assuming it is our last year here. It should be our best. Yes, me and my Mayan friends, you know, oh, we're going to party like it's 2012. You do that. They better get all the content they want now because, you know, they're going to run out of time. Yes, buy your unlockers now because as of uh, December this year, there'll be nothing left to unlock. Maybe fanfare will be, you know, the ultimate fanfare. It should be, yes. <laughs> and maybe this year it'll be in Dallas or Austin. Don't know, but I got to kind of doubt it. <laughs> Didn't they already say it was in Vegas? It's just a matter of announcing the dates. You know, I think you're right. I think they have already committed to Vegas, uh, and they had some polls up for dates for later in the year. I don't think we've seen an official announcement yet, have we? No, but you can see the poll in October went out by a lot. Although that is just an opinion, it's not a it's not a binding referendum vote, as far as I know. Well, they can do whatever they want. Absolutely. When you put up a poll and you show the results. Well, that's the dangers of polls, right? I suppose. That people sometimes do assume that those are binding referendums. If it turns out that that date isn't available, no yeah. matter how many folks vote for it, they can't have it. Well, one would hope that they only put up dates that were available. Good point. As options. I don't think they would have put up non-available dates. So for this episode, we thought we would wrap up last year, 2011. Even though we're a couple of weeks into this year, we haven't really had a chance to sort of go over all of the great, huge things that happened last year. And the way we wanted to do this was to talk about things that we forgot about 2011. Everybody does lists of memorable events. Well, we all remember the memorable events especially the more recent ones like AOD and all of that stuff. But what about all those things that we've seen in 2011 that we've forgotten about, either because they're irrelevant 
or they're so ingrained that we take them for granted. Things that we just absolutely can't live without anymore. Right. So we thought we'd take a look back. And one of the first ones that I thought of when we were working on this was the item that I entitled Dell and Alley Get to Play Dungeons and Dragons Online. And if you don't remember, way back in the May time frame when SOE had its bit of outage, Allie and I, we waited a day or two. We stalked EQ2 Wire like it was going out of style to see that the game wasn't coming back, and then we kept waiting days on days. Then we finally said, hey, let's try something else free out there because we weren't going to spend a lot of time and invest a lot of effort in it. So we gave Dungeons & Dragons a try. I think, what did we play, maybe three or four nights? Something like that. We waited a long time, and then we finally gave up waiting and decided to jump in. Yeah, I think we hemmed and hawed a little bit under the belief, oh, don't worry, they'll be back tonight when we get home from work. They can't go another day, right? Right. I think we made a very wise choice in that. I think it gave us a chance to see some other things. It was really fun, and I put fun in air quotes a little bit, really fun to be noobs for a little little while again. Mm. Do you remember how much time and effort we invested just trying to figure out how to send a tell to each other? Yes, that was frustrating. <laughs> Thank goodness we had Skype so we could talk to each other while playing. Again, something you take for granted in-game voice nowadays, but just trying to figure out how to type a tell or link an item or look at the other person's character. So really fun and interesting and exciting, I guess, to be a noob, not know what we're doing, just running around town, hailing NPCs, clicking on stuff just because, well, it's clickable and seeing what it does. Uh, and knowing no matter what decision we make, this game will probably come to an end for us at some point thinking, well, maybe this will be fun, maybe we'll stick around, but it never did. I don't think I have logged back into DDO since the outage ended. Have you? No, I haven't. I'm still on their mailing list, though, and I see updates every now and then. The icon is still on my desktop. I keep looking at it going, you know, I really should drag that to trash, but then I'm like, oh, it's not harming anybody. I'll just leave it there for a little while longer. But it was it was fun and interesting to go see something different, do something different, we spent a lot of time in character creation. I don't know why we spent so much time in character <laughs> creation, worrying about what color our hair was for some tools we just ran around with. And your biggest problem, not being able to see yourself once you got in game anyways. <laughs> yeah, from the front. I mean, great. I can, you know, I can customize my tune to such detail, but I can't see her from the front. That drove me absolutely bonkers. Yeah, so I think it was an interesting experience. I think... We were glad when the outage was over, and I, I kind of, it's one of those moments I remember exactly where I was. I happened to be at my parents' house, and I started to come over my smartphone, and that's when I said, hey, Mom, got to go. <laughs> SOE's back up, and I dashed out the door. <laughs> yeah, I was in the middle of uh, my daughter's play at the high school and uh, got a text message. So had to wait a little while, but figured it'll, North will still be there when I get home. Absolutely. I think, you know, as as much as a bummer that the outage was and how frustrating it was as players with the lack of communication that we got and all that sort of stuff, I think it gave us, at least the two of us, uh, an opportunity to go see something different. And I think bigger message is, is that even though they were out for, for as long as they were, people still came back. And I think that's a testament to their product, that it is a good product. And as much as sometimes we like to bitch and moan and complain about every little thing, we still come back. We still pay. We still keep coming back even when they've been offline for two weeks and have just kept telling us, well, maybe we'll be back tomorrow. We don't know. Or it'll be Monday at this point. 
and then it rolled into Tuesday at best. So I think that's a really good thing for them and a good thing for somebody to think, oh, wow, even though we did have that outage and certainly we'd never want to repeat that again, but our fans came back. They did come back and they're still spending money with us. So we must be doing something right. Yeah, that's a really good point. The first thing on my list is flying mounts. It's it's something that I I personally couldn't live without, and I know that it's a huge game changer for, for all the players. You know, when flying mounts came in, it basically added another dimension of play to the game, whether it was two dimensions and we added a third or three dimensions and they added a fourth. It really doesn't make a difference. It was a huge game changer, and I don't care who you are, nobody can live without flying mounts anymore. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think flying mounts have totally changed the way we see Norath and certainly how we get around in it. Flying mounts are the microwaves of Norath. I don't know how anybody survives without them. (laughs) It's just ingrained. We just have them. And I was leveling the wizard the other week on the bonus XP weekend, and it's like, oh, my goodness, how difficult it is to run across Enchanted Lands. Like, this is painful. If I was Delmon, I'd just, from the docks, hit the space bar and take off and be across the zone in a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Now i got to run through these. Oh, look, there's a mob over there that might attack me. Now i gotta, I got to hook around this tree and rock and avoid that thing. So you're right. Uh, flying mounts truly have revolutionized how we get to content and how we level through content because we can get from point A to point B without having to do the encounters along the way. I know you've talked in the past about, you know, sometimes there should be a little bit more danger in the overland zones. Mm-hmm. Well, flying mounts kind of negate that danger a little bit. Uh, when we're out in Great Divide and we need to get over to uh, the entrance to Great Talks, Fortress Spire, or the, the ring events or something like that, we jump on a flying mount, we go over all those mobs that we might have to train off or that might root us and, and start hitting us, especially maybe if we're undergeared a little bit for them. Flying mounts, we just totally circumvent that content. So uh, they, they can be a little bit of a double-edged sword, I think, but I certainly wouldn't give mine up at this point and say, oh, I need the lore of being stuck on the ground and fighting every mob along the way. Right. Given the opportunity to go back, I don't think anybody would go back. Maybe a couple of people. Yeah, I agree. I don't think anybody would want to give those up. The next item that was on uh, my list of the biggest game changers from 2011, and and you might laugh at this, Allie, uh, it, it's kilts and sitting in chairs. Two Delmon's most favorite things. Yeah, and I understand how that can be shocking because certainly I have never typed, I shouldn't say never, I typed it once, said, ooh, wow, that's interesting, and then didn't, did it again, sit chair, sit or sit chair. I don't even know what the command is. <laughs> and, and certainly I didn't buy kilts out of station cash. Uh, one, because I don't have the legs for them, but that's another story for another cast. To me, it's what kilts and sitting in chairs represent. It represents giving the players what they want. And I know we talked about this at length when we are talking about Beast Lords, but it goes, again, to the most recent Wings things that we saw in Station Cash. If they can make a buck off it, they'll fit it in. And for good or bad, I, I don't know. I understand, you know, they're a business, they're a company, they're in, they're in the for-profit arena. They need to make money. And if people are willing to pay for them, then sell. why not sell them? I mean, certainly Sony Online Entertainment is not Ford Motor Cars. They do not believe in the, you can buy a Model T in any color as long as that color is black. Now it's, if we can sell it, let's put it in there. And I think Wings 
and I think Beast Lords and, and certainly Kilts. And even though we didn't have to pay for sitting in chairs, it kept people happy and it kept them coming back. To my kind of previous point, people still did come back. So as much as Kilts and sitting chairs are not for me, but they represent something bigger, and that's catering to your customer and not saying it's our world, now live in it. Now it's your world, and we're going to give you what you want. And I think we're going to start to see with these blocks and stuff that are coming, it's more of that sandbox coming because that's what people want. Now, I am hesitant about it. I, I hope it doesn't swing so far that, you know, just because somebody's willing to say, I'm willing to plunk down any amount of cash for this, that they'll absolutely do it. Uh, because I, I kind of do like the, the tight-knit story that we have today. So I am a little bit hesitant upon this pendulum swinging too far the other way. Yeah, I certainly would hate to see EQ2 turn into sort of a mashup of all elements of people's other favorite games. Let me perhaps clarify what I am fearful of a little bit more. I'm fearful of whatever the next fascination is, whatever the next pop culture phenomenon is that's out there, such as sparkly vampires or steampunk or Doctor Who, all these things that are just hitting the marketplace really hard now and then somehow are becoming incorporated and ingrained in our game. I think, for me, steampunk doesn't belong in the world of Norath. I think the gnomes have gone just about as far as they should with their gadgets and gizmos, but I don't want to see cannons and motorcycles running around in the world of Nor Norath under the guise of, well, they're steampunky and the gnomes created them. Yeah, it sounds like a, you paint a scary picture, Don. Uh, well, I'm certainly not trying to, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'm trying to paint a scary picture, and I certainly hope I'm not. I just think we've come up to the edge. I don't think we need to go any further than we have already. That's all. Well, if they're on this kick of giving people what they want, can I have my armadillo pet, please? No. I agree. Get you an armadillo pet. And uh, from what I hear, Allie will pay for it. Well, I think they have to factor in how many other people really want an armadillo pet. But, you know, armadillos are so cool. They just haven't become the phenomenon. I need to start a real-world campaign that is celebrating everything that is armadillo. Well, I'll tell you what. You write a book about armadillos who are wizards and vampires, part, marketed at the teen, teen crowd, and you'll sell a million copies, and the next thing you know you'll get armadillo vampires in-game. All right, I'll just whip that right out, Till. So the next biggest game-changer for me was, this might sound a little repetitive, but Leapers and Gliders. And it, it not quite so much for what Leapers and Gliders brought, but for me personally, if you remember, at the same time, they changed all ground mounts to 130% run speed. And that was a big hullabaloo at the time. Looking back, I couldn't live without this again ever again going back to running slow is painful i mean it makes alts playable to be able to have a mount and all the mounts are equal speed it takes out one of the hugest time sinks in the game and that's getting from point a to point b when especially when you just want to log in really quick run over do your repeatables for the day log out switch to the next alt so on top of the 130% run speed, the leapers and gliders made the lower, below, I think it's below 85 crowd, made their game equally enjoyable. They can get the experience of that added dimension that I talked about in, in the first item as well. It gives the earlier level players something to 
give them that added viewpoint, that added dimension of gameplay. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's funny, when we were first doing our homework for this and you, you listed those two items as separate, I said, ah, come on, they, sh- they should go together. But then as you were talking about why, you know, I absolutely agree that they, they should stay separate because something we've talked about in the past is you play the game from 1 to 89 one way and then at 90 all of a sudden the game transitions. Doing some fudge math here, 1 to 85 one way without being able to fly and then all of a sudden at 85, boom, the whole world changes and now you can fly around anywhere. So what I saw as Leapers and Gliders being important is exactly what you were alluding to, to there is that it makes the game somewhat more consistent throughout all 90 levels and not this, you play one way and then boom, at this level, all of a sudden everything changes for you. So Leapers and Gliders, they build up to it. They build up to flying. It, it, it's, a to me, a smooth progression towards flight. So when I first heard about it, I'm like, oh, God, that's, that's ugh. But then I'm like, no, I see how it works. And actually having played through it, I absolutely like what they've done there. I wasn't keen on it day one, but when I did it and played it myself, certainly great improvement, great change to the game uh, because it does keep that smooth progression all the way through from beginning to end and not just the boom, I'm a certain level and now everything changes for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easier to see things from after the fact. I mean, obviously when things happen immediately, we are looking at what they do and sort of trying to figure out why they did it when they probably started from a different point of view of, well, we have this concern and this problem we want to tackle. How do we accomplish that? And this is a way that they figured out to do it. Absolutely. I originally thought it was going to be like restricted flying at mm-hmm. lower levels, but I was more pleased with the solution that they implemented with the gleepers and lighters. And there you go. Yeah, there I go. Gliders and leapers. Okay. Uh, next on my list was uh, Fortune League. Don't know if you really remember Fortune League, Gally. If you blinked, you might have missed it. Fortune League, we hardly knew you. It was a add-on on on Facebook where you played Fantasy EverQuest 2, kind of like Fantasy Football, but for EverQuest 2. Unfortunately, it, it fell apart as quickly as it came online. Uh, I know I complained about it in the past about not understanding how to play in the the walkthrough and documentation was was somewhat lagging. Uh, and then I think Facebook changed their strategy on uh, their games being incorporated within Facebook. And Sweep was probably not making enough money on Fortune League or any of its other Facebook-generated games. Uh, Taco went away. Uh, they had some Wildlife Refugee one or something, didn't they, as well? And, and Dungeon Overlord went back to its uh, its own manufacturer to, to continue onward. Uh, but it was these these partnerships, so along with, if you remember as well, Ellie, the EQ2 mobile app from AFK Interactive. These partnerships haven't worked out, these things outside the outside their MMO genre. So I wonder, uh, did us, so we did kind of decide to circle the wagons a little bit and let's work on what we do best, and that's MMO-style games, as opposed to some of these other things that they were trying to, to do in the marketplace as well. Uh, Fortune League... I wasn't keen on it when it first came out. Again, it was, oh, great, another another thing outside of game that affects in-game with, with more boosters and more speed-ups and that sort of stuff. I, I, I won some of them. I, I don't think I ever was good at Fortune League. I don't know about you. I, I never mastered it before it went away. Uh, but so am I kind of glad to see that it's gone a little bit? But again, just another thing that came came and went in, in 2011 without a lot of fanfare, really. Yeah, I fortunately was, I think, a disappointment because... Um... You know, while it was fun in the beginning, especially if you're playing, I mean, it's only really was 
useful if you're actually playing the game, but it wasn't really a game in and of itself. It wasn't really fun in and of itself. It's like buying stocks, kind of. Well, that's not really fun. You're right. It kind of was like playing the stock market of EverQuest 2. You know, in games, there was no there was no social aspect to it, right? I, I wasn't trash-talking other people in emails the way I do in fantasy football and then not being able to back them up. You know, it, it just seemed to be something I was doing to get a few a few boosters or something. And uh, I was probably, when I did win, and, and a win may be an exaggeration, I was more lucky than I was good. I, I certainly didn't know what I was doing. I just, much like Yellow Win, I clicked on everything that I saw that was green. Mm-hmm. Well, I figured I mastered Fortune League. I just didn't get to the top of the list to be able to get the trophy before they unplugged it. But, you know, that was my goal. But I did get a bunch of, of the AA scrolls and XP potions before they shut it off and used them for my for my alt and over the double XP weekend most recently. It did feel a little like cheating, uh, but, you know... Whatever. Eventually, I would have gotten there anyway because I was just grinding levels. So the next thing on my list of game changers was the stat changes and the corresponding itemization changes that happened after converting to a two-stat system with DOV. This was a an enormous deal at the time. Um, and at the time, looking back, you know, I thought it was a good change, but looking back at how it's changed the game since then, I think in and of itself, the change was fine, but there are so many other things that have resulted from it that have maybe become a little less welcome. For example, the re-itemization debacle, which we're still feeling the effects of today, uh, the oversimplification of certain classes, uh, support classes and certain healers. The pigeonholing of archetypes into set roles with, without really having an ability to play outside of the box. Um, simplification of gear, which has, you know, some advantages and disadvantages. Uh, the disadvantages being that there's no more choice. Players pretty much have very little thinking to do anymore. Uh, the advantages being that players don't have to spend precious time figuring things out. But some would say, you know, it's a greater loss than a gain. So I'm not, I'm, I think that was a big game changer, whether judgment wise, whether it was good or bad. I think, you know, it's a little bit of both. Um, but it certainly has changed the face of the game going forward, not just for last year, but I think to come, what's yet to come. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I think it has both positive and negative aspects to it. I, I, as you highlighted, I think. For me, at least the positive ones are I know what's next. There's no looking at something and going, I don't know, I don't know, what, which, which, what, which is better. You, you look at it, and for the most part, everything is a step up, then it's got to be better. So I, I think that is a, a good thing at times, but I think uh, the, the lack of choice, the lack of freedom. Can I inspect everybody's gear and know exactly where they've been and how they got it? Absolutely, because it is such a regimented system. Uh, has it negated the the desire of players to go through certain content. Yeah, uh, today there's very little reason to run through, say, Tower of Frozen Shadow if you're already wearing Drunder gear because it's completely negated it. It's completely an upgrade to it. So I think having players redo content has been hit by that, and I think that has led into, uh, not exclusively, problems with the Dungeon Finder pro- product that we've seen along the way as well, and, and other things. 
I think, like you say, it's an extremely double-edged sword. It's got its positives at times, but it has it has had a lot of downstream effects. And that gear is so much of an impact now because of the way things are with all these uh, high primary stats and so many blue stats on an item. You, you really are, are measured up by your gear now. Uh, and, and to some degree, uh, less of your play, it's you must have this to be successful here. You must and be this tall to ride the zone. Yeah, and it's really irrelevant. All you need is the gear. You just have to get the gear. It's really irrelevant what you are as a person or a player behind the screen. If you have the gear, that's it is how you're measured, I think. You know, there's no choice. There's no choice. There's no, well, I want to be a little bit more of this type of mage, for example. I want to be more well-balanced than full-on DPS. Or I want to be full-on DPS and, you know, forget about my survivability because I'm always running with a tank and a healer and a full group or whatever. I don't know. It just, it feels very straight line, you know, follow the line, connect the dots, do, do A, do B, do C, then do D, and then, you know, you win. Yeah, let me share a story that I saw on channel the other day. I was, I don't know what I was doing, but I was in game, and somebody in uh, level chat was, was looking for po- folks to run, I think, like Shard of Hate and TPR with them, and I was like, uh, okay, and that was interesting, but the way they followed up their request for people was, please send your crit mint and crit chance. And immediately people jumped all over them saying, well, you don't need crit mint to run Protector's Realm or Shard of Hate. They didn't even have those mechanics back then. And the person's response was, well, then I'll know how well they are off if they have those numbers high enough. And I'm like, yeah, but it's irrelevant. You, you don't need those stats. But they were using that stat now as a measuring tool for everything else. Mm-hmm. Tell me what your crit chance is. Tell me what your crit mid is. And then I will judge you without even knowing who you are. Just mm-hmm. tell me these two numbers. Everything is boiled down to two numbers. Whether or not you can do the these zones that don't even need the mechanics. But having high numbers of that therefore makes you a good player. And I was like, wow, that is that is really a leap of faith in thinking. That just because they have these two high stats makes them a good player and capable of either you know, two-manning Shard of Hate or two-manning Protector's Realm or something like that. Uh, I, I, was, I was a little surprised by that, uh, that somebody was, are, that people are already thinking along those sort of lines. And because that's the way we're, it's almost become ingrained into us that this is the way it is, therefore the entire game must be that way. Mm-hmm. And it, it was almost disheartening a little bit. Yeah, I think if I could um, put myself out on a limb here, go out on a limb here, I think Smokejumper would say to that, well, then you just don't group with that person. Absolutely, and I, I agree with that. But it's the, you know, when you hear that type of thinking, if one person is saying it, mm-hmm. 20 people are probably thinking it type of thought process in my head. Exactly. And, you know, the game changes do create the culture that we have. They do create the social interactions that we as players have. And it's not just a simple matter of, well, be a rebel and you 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 go ahead and continue grouping with the people that you know are thinking rightly and challenge the group that is thinking wrongly. Well, you know, the game changes have built the culture that has evolved. Absolutely. And the other part, too, is the more you hear that, the more it becomes standard thinking. So the more people say things, the more they become true, whether or not they are. 
Right, because for every person talking in level chat, there's 150 people not talking and listening. Exactly, and then maybe somebody's sitting there going, "Well, oh, maybe you do need that sort of stuff. I didn't know that you needed it. That right. person, that person's talking. They must know more than me." And then they hear it from three more people, and it becomes fact. Exactly, exactly. So that that kind of surprised me and disheartened me, as I said, a little bit. The next item that I had on my list of biggest game changers from 2012, it's kind of a selfish one, and it's a very low-level one, but I'm almost like, how did I live without this? Is the inventory search button <laughs> in our character window? My goodness. Every live event now, I run some of the old quests from years past just to make sure that there wasn't a change. Or I, I do like to do them again and get the reward. But some of them continually give the same reward. I would get it, and I'd just stick it in the bank thinking, well, I don't know if I have it or not, and I don't feel like clicking through countless bags and boxes to see if it's in there. So I'll just keep this helm of foamy goodness. Well, the most recent Braille Day last year, I clicked and said, how many foamy brew helmets do I have? I had four of them. <laughs> I can only wear one at any given time. I only have but one head, and they all look the same. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, enough is enough. Every time now I do a live event quest, uh, after I get the reward, I use the search button to see how many of these I already have. I have countless cloaks from past Frostfells that are all the same. And I'm like, you know what? Enough's enough. Uh, if I can sell them, I put them on the broker. Maybe somebody else missed out on them. If not... I sell them to a vendor. If they're no value, then I destroy them. Because of this feature, I am able to reduce bank space because I was hanging on to so many duplicate items because it was so labor-intensive to search and see if I've already gotten this. So I have to say, for me, the inventory search button, I absolutely take it for granted now. For me, looking for duplicate items, not only that, oh, my God, where did I put this thing? You know, this quest I was working on six months ago, and now I need the the spritzer to spray on these plants. What the <laughs> hell did I do with the spritzer? Right. I don't even know what it looks like. You know, so now you got to click a mouse over everything and, and search the list. Oh, forget it. So, but this inventory search button saved countless time and effort. And I, I think there was a funny story. I, I think this happened at Fanfare was that the, there was a conversation and, and Smoke Jumper said uh, when this was originally offered up as a design spec, he said no, nobody would ever use that. They'll never take advantage of that. They don't need mm -hmm. that. And I think the room erupted in laughter and boos at him to, to say, yes, we do like this feature. You are wrong. Uh, great addition to the game. And whoever advocated it, I think, did a wonderful job of implementing it. Uh, saves countless hours of, of searching. Yeah, I definitely have to agree. That button, I couldn't live without it at this point. In fact, I love it so much, I want to marry it. Would love to see one small change if it's even remotely possible and that one thing would be if it could also search things in my house uh, from the character that I'm looking from any houses that person owns that would also be great but if that's not possible that's okay I'll take it as it is yeah you're right I I'd like to see that as well but uh, yeah I'll, I'll take it as is <laughs> would be nice to add that search for placed items without having to go to the house and look for them so my final thing on my biggest game changers is maybe not a good thing, but that would be DOV crafted shard armor now with 100% less shards. Basically, Thurgodon armor is pretty much free. It just costs fuel, um, which is nice for alts and nice for people just getting into DOV. Uh, it, it makes for survivability in the early parts. Um, but I think it has, again, a double-edged sword sort of a aspect to it. 
I think it killed public quests because uh, I'm not sure that anybody runs public quests anymore. Because really, what do we need the rewards for anyway? If we can get Rigor armor, Thurgoodin armor for free, and then Rigor armor from running a few dungeons or some plat. Yeah, I was out. Uh, I had to do a couple of public quests the other day for a few quest lines I was in, and Stormgorge took me, I think, like three or four runs to do it because it was me and the dwarves by ourselves fighting. And you can only heal the Siege Marshal so many times by yourself. Uh, eventually, I had to let it wind down to a lower level to basically soloable uh, so that we could win. And that took me three or four runs to get all the quest updates I needed from having to do that. Ring War, I still see a, a fair amount of people added. I wouldn't certainly say I see the, the two or three concurrent raids going at it at the same time. I think people do that one because it's a little easier. Storm Gorge is still a little bit more complex. But I think you're right. I think the amount of people who are participating in public quests is way down, and I think this is a contributing factor to it. And I think that's unfortunate for the Johnny-come-latelys who are just getting there now, and they want to do these, and there's nobody else around. That, you know, It's not much of a public quest when you're the only person there. But don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I do think it's a good thing to have people have survivability in DOV, and it's not, you know, the be-all, end-all gear, the Thurgoodin. But it's, you know, it's better than a lot of the quested stuff. Well, it's the next stepping stone. So to get into the zones where you need the, the gems, you need to have Thurgoodin armor to be successful. And you can skip, yeah, you can skip all the quests. If you're not if you're not wanting to do quests, you can just skip all of that. Just get yourself some Thurgoodin armor. Jump in at the lowest uh, zone to group and, you know, get your get your diamonds and whatever and make some Rigor armor to just continue on the grouping path. That, that is a good thing. Um, I just don't like sort of the easy moding of being able to get gear. I mean, it's so easy. You might as well just make it automatic. As soon as you zone into DLV, here you go. Six pieces of armor. I don't think it'll be that easy. I'm just saying it's just as easy. It, it is. Well, it's just as easy saying, shouting a level channel, saying, hey, I need somebody to make this stuff or in guild. Can you please make it? But Which, you're right. You're right. It costs fuel and that's it. Okay. And some raws that are common. That is true. Practically automatic. Practically, but not. Practically. <laughs> we also had some other items that were kind of honorable mention from 2011. They didn't make our top few but we thought we'd, we'd list these off as the kind of the also-ran category. They were in the running, but uh, they just didn't still place or win. So, Allie, do you want to lead us off with your honorable mentions? Sure. My first uh, also-ran was the Ether Races. I think that, much like city festivals, these are sort of taken for granted at this point. Um, I think they're a little more popular than city festivals. People still run through them, even after a year. Um, probably because there's built-in competition. At least that's why I do it. I, I like competitive things. And there's a leaderboard, so I keep doing it because I want to be on top. The other thing is you can get titles and mounts uh, if if those events have been activated by one of the special groups. They started that fairly recently. Yeah, I run the Ether races so I get the mounts and the titles. I, I have to say, at times, I'm not a big fan of them. I'm a big fan when I win. Uh, I'm not very good, as I've said in the past, at arcade games. So this Super Mario Kart while flying thing, ugh, it's very arcade-like. So I, I struggle with them. 
but I do them just enough times so I can get my, my mount and my title. Uh, my next on the, uh, on the also ran list is the in-game calendar. I, I think this came in without a lot of, lot of pomp and circumstance. It's certainly good. It's nice to be able to know right in-game, when does this live event finish? When is it scheduled to, to end? So often we saw people shouting in channel or in guild chat, when, do you know when Frostfell begins and ends? When's this? When's that going to stop? Now it's all in-game. It's highlighted. We can see it. We don't need to exit the game to look on websites and find that sort of stuff. So uh, big fan of the, the in-game calendar. Yeah, yeah, I wish players would use it more. It is editable, editable by the guild leader. If you're in a guild, you can add stuff. I kind of wish it was editable by other people, too. Maybe that's a setting. I'm not sure exactly, but I don't know. I think it should be more player interactive, but maybe that's just one of those things that's too complex. So the next thing on my list is the 48-hour tag on loot that makes it tradable to people who were in the zone for the kill. Uh, I think that's something we all take for granted now when the raid leader's passing out loot to people. Somebody bids on it, they get it or whatever, and then they go, oh, damn, I already have this, I forgot. Or it was for an alt that they, you know, they didn't look at the gear before they took it. Well, now that person can trade it to somebody, the next guy down the list, instead of having to petition and wait 24 hours or whatever to get a response and hope that the item was able to be transferred over. Yeah, that is a great feature, and I remember when it got bugged for a little bit, <laughs> caused a lot of frustration. Again, something that is so ingrained now that we take for for granted that when it got bugged, people were all up in arms that it was bugged mm-hmm. because it, it took away that functionality. And I think you're right. Anything that can save time on oopses and, you know, from from Sony's point of view, less customer service petitions, less tickets, faster turnaround, lower cost, that sort of thing. So I think uh, that's a really good change as well. The next on my list is the, uh, and again, might be a little bit surprising to some folks, is the house rating system. Granted, I am not a big house decorator. Uh, I've always rated, I think, everybody's house as a five that I've visited because everybody's house is better than mine. (laughs) But I think it gives us an opportunity to have those sort of, like you were talking about earlier, leaderboards and rating systems. Uh, We see it not only in the housing system, but now in, in Dungeon Maker as well. So leaderboards, it gets those competitive juices flowing, and I think that's good for a game because it keeps people coming back going, ooh, I fell down, I'm, you know, I was number one, now I'm ranked third. What do I got to do to get back up to the top of the heap again? And it keeps them coming back, playing again, buying subscriptions, buying those add-on items, that sort of stuff. So I think the house rating system, although it's nice to rate houses and all that, provides a lot more functionality and a lot more replayability and longevity for the game. I am surprised by that. I thought you wouldn't care about it. Well, again, it, uh, maybe uh, maybe it's a misnomer house rating system. Maybe it's, I should say rating systems I like. Mm-hmm. More prizes, more yes. awards, more leaderboards, more bragging rights for Delmont. Del, Del's got a competitive guy, and he's got to show off his EP. <laughs> My next item is multiple house ownership. Putting it simply, as George Carlin used to say, it's more places for my stuff. And there's a lot of stuff in this game. I couldn't live without having multiple houses anymore. I got the one. I went for the free one. I don't know why it took me so long to move to the Craig uh, Estates there, but I finally did. And I like not having to pay rent. And I can put everything I need in there. I got my salesman salesman crate and my trade skill assistant. 
they're right in the doorway. You can't miss them as you go in. But I think that's good because I know a lot of people enjoy all the homes and all these prestige homes that they're putting in. And, uh, you know, as long as other folks are getting enjoyment out of it, uh, who am I to poo-poo on their parade? Uh, the next thing that I had was uh, raid tagging of mobs and players, you know, with the little symbols or the numbers over their head. Yeah. Uh, that has made certain raid encounters so much more bearable. I, I think of the one at the top of Kratox trying to convince people to run to the right platform properly. Yeah. You could put little little symbols over their head and say, hey, listen, just run to the people with the symbol that looks like yours. I mean, is it dumbing down the game? Maybe. But there are certain encounters that can be quite confusing when you have two mobs that have the same name and you're supposed to debuff one or the other but not both. Uh, so that sort of stuff I think is, is really good. I think it's, it's a tool to aid in the game. As we've seen, some of these raid encounters have become more complex and look more like heroic counters and row counters that look like raid encounters. I think having this additional tagging feature has been a good thing to help, you know, Joe Casual get along, who doesn't remember every mechanic, every every aspect of every fight all the time because there are so many now. Yeah, and it, it helps in general, like, you know, put a tag on the the leader who's explaining the raid. Where I'm jumping now, this is where you want to joust to, you know, things like that. Or even in a public quest, I've seen people use it. You know, they'll tag the siege marshal and they'll tag the main tank, which, you know, that just makes life easier for everybody who, you know, because it's this this flash mob of a raid <laughs> that comes together, yeah. assuming there's enough people to run it. But when there were, everybody understands the the X, you know, what the X means or it doesn't really matter. You could put any symbol over those two people and or whoever key players are. It just makes life easier. It's a universal communicating device. So my next uh, item is the raid ready check. Seems really simple, um, but you know it's it's totally taken for granted. I I forgot that this thing was so recent. Again, takes out another huge time sink for raiding. Anyway, uh, man, I remember days when we used to, you know, is I, is everybody ready? And then there's silence. Well, is anybody not ready? Speak now. You know, and we don't need to do that anymore. You just do a raid ready check. And, you know, if you're not ready or if you can't speak or, you know, whatever, you can press the not ready button. And it's very clear within a few seconds who's ready and who's not ready. Just takes out another time sink. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think it's a fantastic feature. Uh, catches me when I'm playing words with friends and I shouldn't be. <laughs> or sometimes uh, what I will do is I'll be looking in act. Uh, you know, trying to analyze the last encounter, see if there was something that I missed or why somebody died, you know, critical or something like that, trying to figure out what, what just went, went wrong. Uh, and I'm not, and I'm focused on that and not necessarily in the, the polling window. But when I see things light up like that, I know, oh, here we go again. We're getting ready to go. So I, I do think that is a great feature. And I have to say, I'm a little embarrassed to ask this question. Is there a group ready check? I don't know. But, you know, there is sound attached to it, Del. So you don't have to see it flashing. If you, you hear the, the battle horn, you can mouse, you know, click over to EQ2 and click your button. Uh, yes, but unfortunately, and I've learned this the hard way, uh, when you mute all the sound in game, you don't get the battle horn. Right. That's why I think you should be playing with sound because, again, you're missing 27.5% of the game. Yes, but I'm trying to focus on the raid leader and the commands, the calls. I, I, you know, I'm focused. I'm in zone with my raid leader and, and, and trying to pay attention to everything they say and, and, you know, not what's going on during 30 Rock during the raid. How would sound in the game 
make you pay attention to the TV? Well, I, I can only listen to so many things at once, and when I'm watching TV, it's very difficult oh, to I see. pay attention to the battle horn and the raid leader. Wow. I only have two ears, Allie. Lame Delmon. Lame Raider. But I do think if there isn't a, a group one, there really should be, because, you know, in some of these pug groups, not everybody gets in voice or something. Mm, yeah. So I think maybe that would be an addition if they could. Don't know how hard that would be. There might be. We should check it out. Uh, and finally, uh, the last thing that I had on mine uh, of the honorable mention of things from 2011 that changed uh, were XP nu- numerical values being reported to us as players. Uh, we hadn't seen this before. Going back to my EQ1 days, it was kind of like a no-no. You no, you weren't supposed to know what's behind the curtain. So I think it's nice to know that. I certainly had this fear when I first saw this coming, thinking, well, gee, if I know that that unicorn gives 100 XP and that frog over there gives 101, I'm going to go kill the frogs and leave the unicorn alone. i got to be honest, I've never done that. Even though I've had all these numbers, I have never once analyzed what mob is the best one to kill for XP. Uh, I don't know about other players. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. But, again, a little bit of that double-edged sword we talked about. Sometimes it reveals behind the curtain too much. But uh, I don't think it's influenced me one way or the other, being able to see behind the curtain. I don't think it's changed. I think for me, I do look at the numbers in a general sense. If I see I'm getting, you know, 9 or 10 XP, uh, yeah, I think I'll go do something else. (laughs) Um, But I don't sit there and calculate exact, you know, 100 versus 101. But it, it is nice to have that instead of just counting bubbles. I've never said, ooh, this zone isn't giving me enough XP, I'm going to go somewhere else. I've never done that based on the numbers. I thought I would, but I haven't. Mm. All right, uh, it's a new year, Allie, and that means it's time for new Allie Angle. Awesome. So we have a very timely, pardon the pun, themed Allie Angle for you this week. So, Allie, what are the three most memorable moments from eq to talk over the last year for you? Well, you know, this one, I had to go back and re-listen to all the episodes just to sort of remind myself of everything that went on during the year. And uh, one of the things I came across was furries. Furries. It it was our first giggle fest of the year, and it made me laugh listening back to it again. So I'm making that my number three was the furry fury (laughs) that made me, made us giggle. Now, that was from a listener email. Yes, that was good old Sprouts. Sprouts. Uh, Sprouts seems to be the cause of many giggle fests for us, isn't he? He brought us such famous moments as Mega Anus. I believe that was Sprouts. And now he's uh, partying with furries on the weekend. So uh, I, I look forward to this year of more emails from from, from Sprouts and his furry friends. <laughs> so my number two, this one was really tough. Um, but I'm going to be democratic about it and say all of our wonderful guests that we had in 2011, starting with Ninja, who is my venerable Sather. <laughs> and I'll try to explain. You know those moments when you kill a mob for the very first time and you have that permagrin? Absolutely. Well, Venerable Sathir is still on the top of my list of permagrin moments. And Ninja, being our very first guest... That was my permagrin. That episode was my permagrin. And I still have that, even though we've had several other really fantastic guests. For whatever reason, Ninja was my venerable Sather. Well, Ellie, as they say, you always remember your first (sighs) guest. Yes, that is true. 
all of our guests were really fantastic this year. Uh, Spiders, Domino, Felden, Lico, and finally, of course, Smokejumper. Um, it was a great year. So our guests. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with them, and I think we got a lot of great information from all of our guests. And I think in 2012, we hope to have many more, don't we? I hope so. So the the number one, if you can imagine what beats Ninja, was <laughs> the Brellcast, the winging it episode. As much as I hated it at the time and the morning after, looking back and listening back, it was a lot of fun, and I, I can poke fun at myself now so many, so many months later <laughs> and listen to how ridiculous I sounded and talked over you almost the whole episode. I have to say, of all the shows we've recorded, there are two that stand out for me, and the, the Brell cast is, is absolutely one of them. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, even though we've been, we've been told we can't do it again, it, I think we do plan to bring it back in, in 2012 right around Brell Day. Uh, and, and I have to say one of my favorite moments from that show, Allie, and I, I don't even remember if it's really in there or not, uh, but we had been going on for some time, and uh, I, I said it was time to wrap that show up, and, and you came out with one of the best lines of all time, where you said, but I haven't had a chance to say anything. <laughs> and what you hadn't realized is you had probably just been going on for 10 minutes about something at that point anyways. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think that is one of my most favorite single moments of any show. The I haven't got a chance to say anything. <laughs> Hard. After I spent an hour and a half talking over you. <laughs> exactly. Just going on and, and, and oh, but uh, we're done already. <laughs> I'm like, we've been going on here for two and a half hours. <laughs> well, next time I, I want you to participate in the drinking game a little more zealously. I will. I will uh, endeavor to uh, to drink harder and drink more heavily uh, in in the 2012 uh, Brew Day podcast that we do. Uh, assuming Brell comes back this year, but I, I'm sure he will, won't he? I think we have to follow it up. But you know, I'm not going to do pregame this time, and you will. Pre-game. Because I think that's what did me in was pregame. A little tailgating before the podcast yes. out in the driveway. Yeah, Get some absolutely. sausages going, some canned meats cooking up. Oh, yeah. I think they think Dell needs to do a little more of the pregame drinking and Allie a little less. And I'm also I'm looking forward to Bristlebane Day coming back. I think we had a lot of fun with that show, and I'm hoping we can do something along that line. Uh, this year as well again. That was a lot of fun, too. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, so to recap, uh, your three most memorable moments in EQ2 Talk podcasting last year. Number three was? Furries. And number two was? All of our great guests. And your most memorable moment from 2011 EQ2 Talk was? Winging it. Alrighty, is that just about everything that we have for this, the 38th episode of EQ2 Talk? 38? Oh, we're approaching middle age. I feel like I should go out and buy a, a, a fire engine red griffin now. <laughs> Wings? No. Flaming? What's flaming? Do we have any flaming mounts? We do. Have, isn't there a flaming griffin? I don't know. I think there is in Station Cash. Go get it. I should have a midlife dwarven crisis <laughs> break down and buy a cherry engine red flaming mount and mount it. <laughs> You're mixing your cars. Whatever. Cherry engine? Fire engine? That's what I meant. 
I'm getting old. We're 38. Oh, boy. Well, let's hope this wraps it up. I think it shall. So uh, let's first say thank you to everybody who took the time to download the podcast. We certainly hope that you enjoyed it. And also let's give a big uh, thank you to our corporate sponsor this week, to Armor Canned Meats. Anytime is armor time. So, Allie, if you're coming home from the game with your little ones or you're cooking up for the big game, hey, remember, you can use Vienna sausages. They come in both barbecue and original flavor. Just pull the pop top and they're ready to serve. And remember, because it's an armor canned meat, it's good for just about forever, as long as the seal is still intact and the can isn't bulging. Anytime is armor time. Canned meat. Pull tab. Pigs in a blanket. I don't, I don't know what potted meat is, though. Do you? Is that when the meat comes out and it's shaped like the can? I don't know, but it's made with real chicken and beef. <laughs> I sounds... just don't see those two meats being fused together in a kitten. <laughs> but I don't think we should be talking bad of our corporate sponsor, should we? Fused is a really good word. Fused meat. Ooh, I'm starving now. So if for any strange reason you'd like to email one of us, you can reach us at Allie at EQ2Talk.com. Oh, it's my turn. I'm sorry. I was looking up recipes for uh, barbecued little wieners. Uh, what am I? I'm dumb on it. EQ2Talk.com. You can also chat with us in game. You can reach me at EQ2.Unrest.Alicious, A-L-I-S-C-I-O-U-S. And for me, that's EQ2.Unrest.Delmon, D-E-L-L-M-O-N. You can also join our in-game chat channel, which is eq2.unrest.eq2talk. Or you can check us out over on Facebook, where we are, facebook.com slash eq2talk, where we would like for you to love us. And you can also check us out over there on the Twitter, so you can follow us there at twitter.com slash eq2talk and click the follow button. I think that wraps it up for episode number 38. We hope you join us again for episode number 39. And say goodnight, Allie. Good night, Allie. I was gloating a little... A little bit. <laughs> Shared bank slot locker unlockers for... Oh, I snorted. I'm sorry. Someone was walking by. Therefore, we must bark our heads off. I'm fearful of whatever the next pop culture frenzy is. The pigeonholing... Oh, I was... I gotta be honest. I'm I'm fascinated by canned luncheon meat. What? I'm getting the L on the forehead. (laughs) 